Hi, guys. It's really, really lovely to see you. Uh, my name's Richard, if you uh, haven't met me yet. Uh, you're very, very welcome here at Christchurch W4 this evening. Um, I grew up really religious, and I thought I'd do a little competition to see if any of you could outdo me on the how religious you grew up. Um, if you maybe grew up in a particular part of Africa, you might have been raised more religious than me, but if not, that's okay. So I was born into a family that were encouraged to breed for Jesus um, by the extreme church they were in. So 11 months into my parents' marriage, whoop, out popped me. Uh, and then uh, for a few months, the pastor's wife ended up looking after me a lot, and she prayed over me, and it was a charismatic sort of house church, so they prayed over me in tongues an awful lot. Uh, and it was very clear that from the beginning, I was supposed to end up doing what I'm doing this evening, I guess, but probably not in an Anglican church, because that would have been dodgy. Uh, but there you go. Uh, and, and so I grew up with that. Uh, I can remember getting to be 12 at school, and the RE teacher, who was a devout Christian, uh, asked, have any of you read the Bible? Which the answer was supposed to be no. Uh, but I had to say yes, because around my breakfast table every morning... <laughs> We'd read the Bible in one year for as long as I could remember. So at some point or other, I'd heard every passage of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Zephaniah read out. So by the age of 12, I'd already imbibed this thing. But I can remember sitting as a teenager in my room, having just been on a script union camp in the summer. I know some of you are going on camps this summer because new wine's closed. Uh, and I can remember getting home uh, and reading through Jackie Pullinger's book, the uh, Chasing the Dragon, and a book about Nikki Cruz, who uh, was a gangster who was converted, and reading through this going, God, so boring. If only they'd let us finish it off with some better passages. And um, so I knew uh, an awful lot about it, but I also knew what it was like to be utterly bored when it came to reading it. And uh, then as many of you know, when I was 17, I was gripped by the Holy Spirit and discovered that I wanted to read it and read it and read it. And for a while it came alive, then I went and did theology at university, and then it sort of killed me a little bit, and then it sort of begins to come back after a while. But what I've really learned with the Bible is that unless the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates it to you, it can be dry as, dry as you like. But when he brings it alive to you, it can be one of the most invigorating and exciting things you can. And so tonight we're going to try and get into this passage. Um, and if we're going to get anywhere with it, it would be great if you could all pray. Not least because this morning on Christchurch Catch-Up, uh, Sam's laughing because he knows what's coming, I released online an appalling message that I recorded in far too much of a hurry before my Easter break uh, where I got wrong the crucial Greek verbs in this passage and, uh, and changed uh, the way it went entirely. So if you pray, you might get a better message. Is that, is that okay? So we're going to have another moment of praying that God speaks to us through the scriptures tonight. And that is powerful and effective. Let, let's pray. Just where you are, this is your turn. This is where you pray your heart out. Say, God, please speak to me. Please speak through Richard. Please speak to the people around me. I'm willing. I'm listening. I'm learning. Go on, Lord, speak to me, even me. And if you're thinking that might work for the people around me, pray it for yourself as well. See what happens. Might be amazing. Oh, man. Well, at the heart of this passage, the thing I want to draw out from it at least, 
is the sense that early on in your walk with God, you may get a sense of what you want to do for him or do with him or be with him. And it might be right, but it might also need sort of sucking into the ground and dying a bit (laughs) before it springs into real life. And the, the character in question here is Simon Peter. We mainly know him as Peter, because what a great name Peter is. Uh, Peter was our keyboardist this evening. And Peter means the, the rock. So if you've watched, um, what is it, Jumanji with, uh, with the rock in it, you know, that's the sort of character with a rock-solid sort of let's build on him type character. So Jesus has just got resurrected. And it's a few days, therefore, after Simon Peter has done what to Jesus at the, the Last Supper? He said... Let's go and die with you. Even if everyone else deserts you, not I. I will go and die with you. He's got a vision. What a vision for a life that is. I'm going to die for Jesus. That's quite a gripping vision, isn't it? So you have to rewind three years previously to a time when he was out fishing on his boat. And if you've been watching The Chosen, anyone been watching The Chosen? I absolutely love The Chosen. If you haven't heard of it, Google it later and start watching your way through it. It'll do you the world of good. I've cried at most episodes. In, in The Chosen, Simon Peter's out fishing in his boat, and he's desperately in debt to the Romans for his taxes. And suddenly, Jesus comes along and says, you know, fish on the other side of the boat. He's been fishing all night, train fisherman, and he hauls in the fish into the boat and it starts sinking and James and John have to come and help him and others. And then Jesus says the magic words, follow me. And ever since then, Peter, this incredible leader, charismatic character, has been following Jesus wherever. He's trying to run ahead of him often, trying to sort things out for him, saying, you're the Christ, and then, and then ducking and weaving and not quite knowing where he is sometimes. But Jesus sees him as a character that he can build everything on. And he's got a vision. Whatever Jesus does, I will do, even if that means dying. I will die, and I'll die wherever you die. I'll die this way now. He's got a vision. But of course, almost the next day, he's let Jesus down. He's fallen asleep while Jesus has been praying, not once, but twice, three times, fallen asleep. And then when people have said, by a fire, and that's an important detail, by a fire, they say to him, did you know, Jesus, surely you were one of them. You're a Galilean. You must have been one of them. Three times he said, never knew him. I, I, didn't know, I, don't, I don't know him. Scared to fulfill his own vision of dying for Jesus. Scared to follow through with that. And now Jesus sets up a fire by the beach. And Peter is hanging out with six of his uh, disciple mates. And he's just gone, I'm going fishing. Anyone want to come with me? And six of them, out of the remaining uh, 10 options, have gone, yeah. That's the sort of guy he is. He's a leader. If he says, let's do something, you're like, yeah, you know, why not? I mean, Matthew, the tax collector, he's not getting in a boat. He's not gone out with them. But the others, they've piled in. He's that sort of guy, even when he's at his lowest ebb, people still around him. His character's still there. His, his strength of leadership gift's still there. And then Jesus calls out from the shore. He says, friends, you got any fish? And there's this deja vu moment going on. And it's like, no, we have not got any fish. And then he says, well, throw your net out on the other side. And deja vu again. And they did so straight away. No questions. They just chuck it over. And suddenly it's filled with fish. And, uh, and they, 
one disciple says, it's the Lord, and, and Peter jumps out of the boat and goes running into the water, not on the water this time. He's not walking on the water this time. He lands in the water, runs through it, finds the burning coals on the fire, just like they've been the night that he betrays Jesus. And there's fish on it, and this is one of the great proofs of the resurrection. Jesus is cooking breakfast, breakfast of fish. He's a pescatarian at least, probably more so because he has lamb as well. Not a vegetarian, never mind, there's Jesus. And, uh, and he, uh, he cooks breakfast, and it's one of the great proofs of the resurrection that he's not a ghost. He's physical, he's tactile, he can do things. And, and they count how many fish there were, 153. Various theories about it. My favorite one uh, relates to 2 Chronicles 2, verse 17. You can look that up for yourself. Do some cross-referencing and see what you make of it. And Jesus gives them breakfast. And then he takes Simon Peter aside. Now, what are you going to remember about this? Is Simon Peter must have been feeling pretty miserable right now. Now, some of you have been baptized as, as believers here or elsewhere. Uh, or you've recommitted yourself in, in baptism on some public moment or a confirmation. And you've said, I'm going to follow you. I turn to Christ. I turn from evil. I renounce sin. I renounce the devil. I renounce this, that, and the other. And I turn to this. And, you know, a few weeks later or years later at school or at home, you got a bit ground down on your walk with God. You know what it's like to feel a bit of shame when you come close to Jesus. I remember 10 months after my Romania conversion, a pastor from Romania came over to England and I, I felt like it was the second coming of Jesus. I was petrified of seeing this guy. And shame can do that to us, can't it? It can block us from seeing Jesus. But Simon Peter is such a leader. He's, he's in there with Jesus. He's the one running through the water trying to get to Jesus. He's not really caught up in the shame cycle, but he still needs to be broken down if Jesus is going to use him. Because up to now, he's wanted to do it in his own strength, and he's got a lot of that strength. I mean, just looking around the room, there are some incredibly talented people in this room. Many of you have got enormous human capabilities and strength. You're charismatic. You're leaderful. You're academically able. You're beautiful people in all sorts of different ways. You have got a lot of talents going for you. Everyone in the room. But until Jesus breaks you down, you can't always use it. And so he takes Simon aside. And he takes him from this place by the coals on a therapeutic, counseling, controversial, difficult journey to re-examine that moment where he's let Jesus down really badly. And so he asks him cryptically, do you love me more than these? What does he mean? Do you love me more than these fish? 153 fish? Like, yeah, maybe. Do you love me more than the other disciples? Well, some of them were fairly unlovable at times, so probably Jesus was on your A-list of friends to hang out with. Uh, or do you love me more than these others love me? It's probably that last meaning. Are you really all in it for me, Simon Peter? Are you really the one who would go to the cross for me? Is what he's asking. And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I, and then he does a thing with the words, which is what I got wrong on the, on the video. And some people say these words aren't very important, but have a listen to them, see if they make sense to you. Jesus says, do you know that I agape, uh, do, 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 um, do, do you agape love me? Do you love me passionately, unreservedly, wholeheartedly, sacrificially love me? 
And he says, yeah, we're mates. And Jesus says, do you love me? How heartedly, passionately, unreservedly. He says, yeah, we're friends, we're brothers, we're mates. And he says, Simon, are we mates? And, and Peter goes, yeah, yeah, right, we're mates. And he sort of, Jesus gets on his level where he is. All that he feels he's able to offer Jesus in what is actually a broken moment. He gets down to where he is at and says, okay, if that's all you think you can give me now, we'll start to build from there. I've seen what happens when you thought you could give me everything, when you could sacrificially love me. And when the cock crowed twice, you were gone. But if we just start with what you can genuinely give me, we're mates, then would you please feed my lambs? Would you take care of my sheep? Would you feed my sheep? And then he finishes with this, and this is what I was saying about vision at the beginning. He, he says this, remember Peter's vision, I'll die for you? He says this, very truly, this is Jesus speaking, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And John, who's writing it, says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So Peter had a vision that he would die for Jesus. He was ready to do it in AD 33-ish. But it was going to be another 30 years that he got to fulfill that. Actually, legend has it. Do you know the legend of how Peter died alongside his wife in Rome? The first pope, if you like. They were going to crucify him. And he got there and he said, I'm not worthy to die the way that Jesus died. And so according to the legend, he begged them to crucify him upside down. But he was dragged around there. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how he was going to die. It wasn't his own glory. But what he was concerned about at that time was Jesus' glory. And he had indeed become the rock on which the church has been built by Jesus, the little rock on the big rock of Jesus. And then having affirmed that Peter's vision was right, just the wrong timing and done in the wrong way with the wrong heart, Jesus says the magic words to him again. The ones that started out the whole adventure. The ones that you may have heard yourself in your heart when you responded to Jesus. He comes knocking on the doors of the heart of his church according to the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens it, I will come in. And when he, when he opened the door, he says, follow me. And he says it to Peter again, follow me. And from then on, Peter's just known as Peter again. Not, not Simon, but Peter, the rock, the established one. He's back following him. And what, what I want to say to you today is you may have dreams that God has placed in your heart and you don't know when they're going to be fulfilled. Doesn't mean they're wrong dreams. Do you remember little Joseph in the Old Testament? He has a dream that the sun, moon, and stars would bow down before him. And he gets all cocky about it. It costs him a jail sentence <laughs> and a few other things beside. Cocky. I'm going to do this in my own strength. I'm going to make it happen. But it did happen because God was working out his purposes. What has he put in your heart, maybe even from infancy? As a kid, what's he whispered into your soul that he will bring to pass? And have you maybe tried to make it work? Maybe you've been in P 
pebbles or rock solids or something at UI, and you're like, I'm going to do this for you, Lord. I can remember at 12 going on a camp and coming back to school going, like, I will start a Christian union, and like automatically almost perishing at the first bit of controversy at school and not being able to carry on with it. What have you tried to do in your own strength? And then have you got yourself ready where you're like, actually, probably, if I'm going to follow him, I'll fail. Because most people do. I won't get it right all the way through. There'll be a moment or moments or a season where I'm just not really that brilliant at anything. And then there's a, a barbecue on a beach. Something that reminds you of an early calling. A fishing net cast over the pet and suddenly it's full again. It might be a, a letter from a mentor. It might be an email. It might be a, a post on Instagram. It just reminds you of what it was that caused you to respond in the first place. A reminder of a miracle. A book that grabs your attention again and suddenly you're like, he's calling me. He's whispering me by name. And then he takes you by the hand and starts walking with you and he goes, come on, let's have a chat. And all he wants to know is, do you love me? And when you look in on your soul, you can't answer it completely because you know you don't love him as much as you do. That point when that pastor from Romania came to visit me, we were singing the song, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. I can remember being there watching it and trying to join in with the words and realizing I can't sing these words because it's not true. You alone are my heart's desire. I love you more than God. I'm just, just not there, Lord. Do you agape love me, Richard? No, but we'll be mates. I'll work with that. I'll work with that. Let's start as friends. I'll be your savior. But I want to get to the place where I'm your Lord as well. Because if you're going to hang out with me, the visions I've placed in you are going to be fulfilled. If you work with me on it. They're just not necessarily going to be fulfilled the way you wanted them to be in the time you wanted them to be. Earlier, we saw Sam and Stephen's video of St. Albans. And I was saying this morning, when I see that video, beautifully filmed video, beautifully presented video, it causes a sort of, you know, surge of satisfaction in me. Uh, Nev and Sarah were there when it was queued up and, you know, it was really hard to do church in there on a Sunday before it was all cleared away. And then uh, there was a time when it was going to be turned into flats and, and God just provoked us to go in there and to reopen it. It was a provoking in the spirit and there was a sense of you'll see this thing done. And we didn't know how, but someone gave us £120,000 before we'd even established on this project, before they'd heard about this project and said, I believe God wants to do something here. Get, get on with it, whatever it is. I don't care what it is. Here's 120,000 pounds. And so we had sort of seed money to get going on this incredible project. And over the last seven years, God's been bringing it back to life. And I do hope you'll get involved in this appeal because we'd love to get it, you know, over the edge of this next thing. Um, this summer on Tuesday, I've got a conversation with the diocese about the South Side and what we can do there. So we want to keep pushing on to, to getting where, where God wants us to be on that site overall. But the thing is, it's not necessarily what gets done that matters, but how you do it, isn't it? That's what Keir Shreves, our curate at the time, kept saying. He'd seen building projects gone wrong, and 
And it was the sense of, actually, God wants us to be on a journey with him. It's not just doing something for God that matters. It's who you are as you do it and how you do it that's really, really crucial. And in every stage of the journey, God wants to get all the glory. And so you look at something that maybe there's something in your life that you go, I've done this. I've done this. Maybe well at school or at work or you've got a house or an extension or a a relationship you're proud of. And you're like, oh. But they're sort of dangerous things because they can be the things you hold on to, the things you go back to when you don't want to be with God. The fishing boat like Peter jumps into because he knows how to do that thing. You, You jump into that security place of where you're talented and God's going to say, actually, I've got to break it down. So you know it's my strength that's going to win this one. So I long that we see everything God wants to do at St. Albans completed. I long that we see our congregations grow in all the wonderful maturing ways God wants. I long that you see the visions God's given you fulfilled in your life, but you can fulfill a vision and not get the prize. If you do it in your own strength. But God will keep working out his visions that have been planted in you. Almost regardless. The key is to get alongside and say, I love you this much.